we are cinched, so we have very good posture today. <laughs> Welcome! Thank you so much with us today. Was it awesome, folks? Yes. <laughs> we have you. So first, we wanted to give you the opportunity. Do we need? Okay. Oh, oh. Hey. Hey. Yeah. So first we want to give y'all an opportunity to just tell the people a little bit about who you are. I gave a bio, but what are the things you want people to know about you in terms of how you came to drag or your spiritual background um, that matter? little bit about me and my drag and how I yeah. came to drag. Um, well, like 10 years ago, um, I had a friend um, who was a drag queen and they tried to get me to do drag for like seven years and I refused to do it. I'm a trans woman and so I just like, I'm, mm -mm, no, I don't want people to get me confused. So it took her seven years before she convinced me to do it and I eventually did it. Um, I wasn't in the church at the time, but I was still had a relationship with God. Um, and so drag then became my church. Um, so I started doing gospel numbers, and I was the only queen um, in Colorado Springs who did gospel numbers. So that was just my church. It's my way of having church, my way of having a relationship with God. Um, and so that's how I became to doing like drag, and specifically um, gospel drag. Yeah. I um, grew up in a conservative family in a rural town, and then I moved to another rural town <laughs> with the same conservative family, and um, pretty much always knew there was something different. I loved, um, I loved exploring gender. I loved um, throwing aside the masculine, um, but I didn't ever know what that meant, and I didn't know. Um, anything that went along with it. I didn't know that there was an alternative. And then uh, um, as, I, as I grew up, I learned more <laughs> outside of my bubble. And, uh, um, and I realized, oh, I'm queer. Oh, this is called gender expression. Oh, what does that mean? And, uh, um, and then I, I learned what drag was and was like, oh my gosh, that's it. You know, <laughs> and, uh, um, and so I became infatuated. And uh, um, I'm also sweaty, sorry. <laughs> but um, I didn't make it to my first drag show until um, like my junior year of undergrad, um, even though I had spent so many years infatuated with this art that I only knew of theoretically. And then uh, I, I went with a dear friend and I became infatuated. And then I moved and I was living in California on my own and one of my friends was like, oh my goodness, I'm going to a drag show tonight, do you want to come? I was like, yes. <laughs> and, and so we went, I, uh, um, I put on my first attempt at drag. Um, I had grown up, I do theater, um, I'm a trained costume designer and performer and so, uh, um, so I had grown up doing makeup, I knew how to do makeup, but I had never tried 
to do drag makeup. And so I put it on for the first time. I put on a dress that I whipped up that day. We went. Um, I kept going. I became friends with the performers. I started performing with them. And then, uh, um, then the pandemic happened. I moved back in with my parents in the middle of a cornfield. I did like three digital Zoom drag shows over the course of a year and a half. Um, and then I decided I can't be here anymore. And so I moved to Chicago, and this is my first time out. Um, you said something that might, this might be the day for some of the folks in this community, because we all come from different places, we all have different experiences, which is you found out what drag was, right? And, and you sort of mentioned this like, I'm a trans woman, is drag for me, or is that a way for me to experience even more kind of like bigotry and confusion, right? So I wonder if each of you could share with the folks, what, what is drag to you? Like how would you describe it to somebody who didn't know at all? And what's one misconception that you think people have about drag that you might wanna correct for them? Like something that people often think about what drag is that you might wanna say, oh, like my experience of it is different actually. I, I think, um, I mean, we could go into the history of drag, which I don't know is necessarily relevant. Um, but it did, like, um, people dressing up as the opposite gender goes back, like, as far as clothing. Um, so we don't need to go into the history of everything and the definitions. But I think, um, like, drag as we know it now is, is rooted in, uh, um, in people of one gender dressed up and performing as the other. Now, <laughs> I believe in the spectrum of gender. Most, um, most drag performers today do as well. And uh, um, so I think drag has shifted a lot in the, I don't know, five decades, six decades, seven decades since, um, since it sort of started going into the mainstream. There's, there's records of like drag as we know it in the 20s and speakeasies and that sort of thing, but but as as we know it today, really in like the 50s and 60s, um, and now drag is so so mainstream that it's so much about gender performance than men dressing up as women, women dressing up as men. It's just expression, it's performance, it's art, and so uh, um, so for me as as someone who is a cis, gay, white man, um, it means I get to put on the gowns that I fantasized about when I was little, putting on my mom's heels in her closet. Um, but for a lot of other people, it's so, it's different. <laughs> and so I can't speak for everyone's um, relationship with drag. I can't speak to everyone's definition. But I think I would also be remiss to say uh, um, that the drag as we know it today, even if it is, um, even if the mainstream is very white, is very uh, um, cis-focused, drag as we know it today would not exist without trans women of color, um, most notably in the 60s with Stonewall and Marsha P. Johnson, but, um, but well before that with the Harlem Renaissance in New York in the 20s and, and so on and so forth. Shia, what do you want people to know about that? It's expensive. <laughs> <laughs> For all of you who thought you were starting a new life today. <laughs> yeah, um, like this gown is $200.
Yeah, it's expensive. It's crazy. Makeup and hair and all that good stuff. Um, seriously, um, I think I want people to know about drag um, that they may not know. Um, drag queens have a life outside of drag as well. A lot of people don't know that people see people in drag and that's all they ever see them in and they don't realize these people work hard um, every day to be able to do drag. Um, I definitely have a life outside of drag. Um, I'm a dancer. That's like my most harbored uh, um, gift. Yeah, so we have dreams outside of drag as well. That People don't think that. People think that drag is all you do. Oh, that's a drag queen. Oh, she's just a drag queen. <laughs> yeah, um, there you go. Do, do people sometimes bring an expectation to you that you're going to be like heightened all the time or like on all the time, I wonder? Because that seems like you're a human and you got to be people sometimes. I think at a certain level of, um, of prominence, definitely. I know a lot of queens who have a lot more than I have and who have performed a lot more than I have. But, like they are known by more people as their drag persona than they are as their humanness. Um, I, I'm in a place in my life where, um, where most of my friends know Blanche as part of the things that Bradley does. Um, and, I, and I love that. And I, uh, I love that about my story, that, um, that Blanche is a part of me that I get to express, but not, not my whole personhood. Um, but I think it gets harder the longer you do it and the, and the more prominent you become. I she, agree. Uh, okay, I agree. <laughs> Shia, you had mentioned how drag was your church for a, a long time, and that's how you got into gospel. What are the ways that drag has impacted your spiritual life? Um, hmm. I don't know if it's like impacting my spiritual life, um, but I guess it's a part of my spiritual life. Mm. Um, it's just another another medium to connect with God for me, you know. Um, I always pray before I go on stage that, um, and this is any type of art that I'm doing um, for the people of God or anybody else's, that God, you decrease me and increase you in me. Um, so yeah, I guess it's just another medium for me to worship um, and be in the presence of God. Yeah. yeah. Hallelujah. And how about you? This is one of my favorite things to talk about, so I will try to be short. But um, for me, drag expression, gender identity, sexuality, and, um, and my faith are so interconnected that it's hard for me to speak about one of those aspects without talking about all the others. Um, I think time my faith became the strongest was when I was struggling the hardest with who I was and who God wanted me to be. Um, and the time I felt the most fulfilled in God was the time that I accepted who he created me to be and allowed myself to express freely in the way that I felt in whatever moment that was. Um, be that as a theatrical performer, be that as a drag artist, be that as a designer or a technician. Um, 
Yeah, it's, um, I remember this, I'm a huge Dolly Parton fan, and there's this podcast that they did about Dolly Parton, and it's amazing, it's called um, The World of Dolly Parton or something like that. And in it, there's this reference that Dolly says about, um, about going to this church that she had, that was on her parents' property that she went to all the time when she was growing up, and it was the source of, um, of spiritual renewal for her all through her life and adulthood. And then when she went back as a young adult, um, and it was no longer being used as a church, but as an abandoned building in the woods of Tennessee, it was covered in graffiti and profanity, and it was known as a place where people um, went to go do drugs and have sex and these other things that felt um, in a dichotomized world um, antithetical to the faith that that she associated with this building. And she said that when she went into that place as, um, as a young adult, that she realized this is who I am. I am the intersectionality of profanity, of faith, of sexuality, of sensuality, of spirituality. And that building became, um, became so integral to her um, personhood and her art that she literally she didn't, but she paid people to pick that church up and move it to her amusement park. And that church is still there in Dollywood, and it's like her sanctuary. And I think about that, and I think about that epiphany that she had. And, uh, um, and that's so true of me also. I also um, studied theater in a Christian um, cornfield. And uh, um, we had this class called Theater in the Church which was the most amazing class I've ever taken as a queer artist um, who was a Christian. Um, and we read this, this book called Performing Sacred. It's written by two authors. One of them is Dale Savage. I forget the other. I would recommend it to any, any Christian artist, any person looking to uh, um, rectify their faith with art or expression. It's by no means queer, but it, it was so formational in, in that time of me becoming that intersectionality that it, it is like my queer Christian artist Bible almost. Yeah. Um, Thank you. I think that it, that's an experience we've heard from a lot of folks in our church community that we think a lot about during Pride is that like when parts of the church, never the whole church, right? Because the church is not um, whoever the, the meanest Christians claim it to be. It's always a lot bigger. When parts of the church have failed to see who God loves and who God made, the clubs, the drag spaces became sanctuaries for lots and lots of people and became places that saved people and places where they found community and life and joy as both of you have so beautifully described. And I think as a church that's trying to be, um, yeah, like a place where all the things can cross, a, a place where all the things can be. For our final question, we'd just love to hear from you. What are things faith communities could do to be places where you could feel more loved, where drag could be more of, a, a, of an art that can be celebrated? What are things you wish some of the faith communities you had known had been or done um, that would have made them spaces where you could be the fullness of you. I think, um, I think the big thing is, is to trust people's 
um, processes to walk. I think the times where I have felt the most turned away in churches um, is when I said I believe differently than what like our our community's mission statement says. I still feel like this is my home church. I still feel like this is where I'm supposed to be in this moment. But I think differently about this one bullet point on on your um, mission statement, on your doctrinal statement. Um, can I still be involved? Can I still serve? Uh, and that um, the answer is not publicly. And, um, and so I think that that is the biggest thing is I saw people who I knew personally to have very little spiritual walk be able to lead very publicly and speak very publicly in, in the churches that I was a part of with I who struggled daily, cried daily, prayed daily about my walk was not allowed to. And so I think um, each of those times I said, I don't need to be affirmed by you. I don't need to, like, I don't need you to love this aspect of me, um, but I'm asking you to trust me and, and my story and my faith. Um, and I think that would be the biggest thing that any church body can do is, is to trust individuals' um, story and to trust their, their faith walk, um, no matter their personal beliefs or the doctrinal beliefs of the body. Thank you. I second that. Thank you. <laughs> um, I guess in, uh, creating spaces like this where we can come and share our gifts and art um, with the people of God, yeah, that'd be helpful. This needs to happen a lot more often. Can I say that? How, how, often, how often does this happen? Uh, did time exist before the pandemic? I don't know. Probably, um, probably like once or twice a year between all of our sites. Once or twice a year? Yeah. We need to get this like once or twice a month. Yes. Yeah. We would love that. Yeah. Yeah. We're down. I'm down too. Okay. Yeah. I'm here and, most Sundays. Okay. Yeah, you're here every Sunday. We're going to start bringing you up. And when your liturgical dance company is alive, we will have to bring that back as well. Yes, indeed. Yes. Do I, is there any dancers in the house? Liturgical dancers? Yes. Dance up there? The spirit here? is just now in this moment. Right here? <laughs> liturgical yeah. dancer? Oh, yes. Okay, let's do it again. Can I get a raise of hands of dancers? <laughs> yes. All right. So I'll be looking for you guys at auditions. I'm just saying. You know, <laughs> and, um, no, for real. Seriously. Um, I am looking for dancers because um, I'm in the early stages of uh, building my liturgical dance company. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, if you love God, you love dancing for God, you love ministering through dance for God, come holler at me for real, for real. Let's do this. I'm ready. Yes. Is y'all ready to dance? Because yes. I'm ready. <laughs> so I want to thank you all for being here and thank our artists once again. We're about to have a time of offering and then our closing song, which is going to be a raucous, amazing thing. But I do want to ask, is Phoenix Black O'Hara in the house? Is Phoenix Black O'Hara in the house? Okay. Sister? So, so Phoenix, sister, sister Phoenix. <laughs> um, so Phoenix Black be here by the end of the worship. Um, she is going to be performing at the Pride Prom this afternoon from 2 to 4 at Hyde Park Woodlawn. So if you want to see her, she's amazing. You'll also hear more about her. 
We are about to have our time of offering. I'm going to tell you how you can offer to UBC. There is a number you can text. There is a website you can go to. You can put some cash in a basket to support our ministry. But I also want you to continue today as you have the capacity giving a love offering to the Myers who have so generously shared their ministry with us here today. And so I want to make you both in front of everyone so they know that we're making you share your Cash App or your PayPal or your Venmo, however we can give you a little bit to show that we are paying them for being here also. I want you to know that UBC compensates people fairly. And, yes, and we really appreciated it. So please share how we can support you and all that you're doing all around the city. Okay. Um, I think my Cash App handle is... <laughs> <laughs> Not you fell out. Um, the um, the dollar sign. What, what what is that sign called? The dollar sign. Oh, okay. There we go. The dollar sign. Um, the dollar sign. Rhythm in faith. Um, rhythm is spelled very weird. So um, it's spelled R Y T H E M. Rhythm. Um, in faith. So I think that's it. Y'all can connect with me after to make sure it's right because it might be spelled differently. Yeah. And it's know. in our e-news and in the comments as well. Awesome. So. And that also, by the way, is the name of the dance company, Rhythm yeah. and Faith, Liturgical Dance Ministry. Thank you. Um, my uh, both Venmo and PayPal are at BRJ97, all caps, one word. Um, I've also got... Sorry. Or after, um, <laughs> and I'm on Instagram as at Blanche Dubois, um, and theoretically TikTok, but not really <laughs> by the same name. So as we pass around baskets, we also have folded map folders if you want them for walks that are taking all visiting neighborhoods in the city that aren't ours to get to know and love the city, and our small groups form. We have already almost 80 people who for dozens of small groups across the city on every possible subject. So we're going to have this time of offering, a moment of inner meditation, but let's do one final round of applause for these incredible artists! Woohoo!